Welcome to Backstage the Enharmonic. I'm your host, Sean J. Kennedy. Today's guest is Steve Glansman, librarian for the Philadelphia Orchestra. Steve and I have known each other for about 30 years, and in that time we've shared numerous musical experiences. In this interview, Steve talks about how he became a librarian with the Philadelphia Orchestra, the needed skill set to fulfill the job, what music he's listening to, and a host of other things. So I hope you enjoy this edition of Backstage at the Enharmonic. Hey, Steve, this is Sean Kennedy. Hi, Sean. Thanks for calling. Yeah, man. Thanks for taking some time in your uh, busy schedule to be on the podcast. As I was getting ready for this, I realized I think we've known each other for almost 30 years. Uh, yeah, probably. And, of course, we have a history before we even knew each other that we, we share, too. That's right. That's right. A lot of the same teachers and same high school and everything like that. So it'll be a pleasure to find out some stuff that I didn't know about you and for my listeners. So um, a lot of students are going to be listening to this, and a lot of the questions are going to be geared towards that. So I usually start with um, the same question with every guest, so we'll do the same for you. When did music really impact you or you noticed music in some way as a kid? Oh, very easy question. Uh, I think about this all the time. Um, I, you know, as we all are, we're a product of our, uh, of our time. And um, I distinctly remember sitting in the back seat of my parents' car, wedged in, the, in between my two older brothers, listening to Motown. So Motown was really the, the, the gateway for me into music. Uh, any particular artist or just Motown in general? Oh, excellent question. Yeah, uh, the, the classic uh, Tears of the Clown by uh, Smokey Robinson and the Miracles, uh, co-written with Stevie Wonder. Uh, it still knocks me out every time I hear it. I first met you as a trumpet player. Did trumpet and Motown uh, go hand in hand, or was trumpet through the school band? How did you start uh, playing trumpet? Um, my uh, I, I had in, my bro my older brothers both played uh, instruments as well as piano, and and my mother played a little bit of piano, and she sung in the church choir. Um, so when it came time for me around third grade, I um, my my mom and dad said so. Do you think you'd want to do this? What do you want to do? I said, trombone. And they said, well, we don't really have a trombone. We have a John's playing a clarinet or a Bob's playing a trumpet. And Bob's getting braces, so he might not be playing for a little bit. Do you want to try that? So I said, okay, fine. I'll try trump trumpet. I did play a little bit of trombone in high school and um, when I was in our garage band, uh, doing trying to do my Jimmy Pankow impersonation. But... Um, so, and I'm, I'm actually just bought a French horn, so I'm going to start learning French horn. I used to teach tuba. But, but yes, yeah, so I kind of fell into trumpet because my brother Bob got braces. Besides being a trumpet player, um, I also know you're a, an avid composer, and you're continually working on things, uh, coming up with your own ideas. Was that from the beginning? Because I know you're a jazz guy, too. You're in jazz. You're, you have your fingers in a lot of different areas of music. When did you really start thinking that you might want to be a composer and composing your own music? Um, pretty early on, I would say by the time I was 11, 12, but uh, I had I, I had my own ideas. But by the time I was in the uh, got invited into the high school garage band when I was in eighth grade, maybe I was in seventh grade. Um, the other guys, the older guys uh, who were 16, 17, were already arranging and and not composing but arranging. And so I thought, well, if I want to compose something of my own, 
spend a year and I'll just arrange. So that's what I did. I, I just arranged for a year. I started out with the things I knew that I liked that I thought I could contribute to the band, which was uh, uh, Beatles. Uh, I've always been a, you know, like that. So I think All You Need Is Love uh, was always an interest. It had horns, and it was, it was a funky time signature. So I, there was a good message. So I thought, well, that'll, that'll, that was one of my first pieces that I ever arranged. But I arranged for a year before I actually started writing my own original composition. I was very apprehensive when I first started composing about letting people see my work and trying it because it was like basically bearing your soul. Like, here's what I'm imagining. I think I was scared that people wouldn't like it. Did you ever have any of those type of thoughts? No, not at all. No. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, all the time. Yeah, it is. It is scary. Um, you put yourself out there. And that's why I always tell people, as soon as I die, there's going to be a huge concert of all my music. Um, but until <laughs> then, though, I still have uh, some pieces that I have uh, performed out in public. And, um, and I always get in great encouragement to continue to write. So I, I, I still do. I still write. I remember when I was in high school going to the guidance counselor, you know, what do you want to do with your life and all those sorts of things. And I'm like, I want to be a musician. They're like, what? You know, it, the guidance departments that I worked with in high school didn't really know how to handle that because it was kind of a niche market for them. They didn't, it was non-traditional. So I say that because you're not only a musician, I think you have a niche job in a niche market. You're an orchestral librarian for one of the top five orchestras in the U.S. When I was in high school, I didn't even know that, you, that librarian was an option for a job. Can you tell us, uh, the listeners, when you first started thinking, yes, that looks like something I'd be interested in when you first found out about that, how you ended up with that job? Because it's so unique. You know, you don't meet many orchestral librarians uh, on a daily basis. So could you tell us that the genesis of that? Worldwide, there's probably about 350 people in the world that do what I do. Um, I mean, certainly the people who are retired and still living, they could do it too. Um, but I didn't know that there was a full-time position like this available until I was working for the music publishers. Um, that That's all you do is to shuffle the paper uh, as a librarian. Before that, um, starting with the garage band in, in high school, um, I was always shuffling paper, but also playing. So, um, And the, the, the gig I have now is I just shuffle the paper. I don't play at all with, with the orchestra. But um, So every group I've ever performed with before and shuffle paper, I've always played as well. So it, it is, it's a very, very small market. Um, I think I was about, oh, um, this would have been the early 1990s, so about I was about uh, 27, 28 years old when I actually realized that you could make a living just shuffling the paper, being a librarian. What would make you a good candidate to be an orchestral librarian? Um, music, studying music, listening to music, um, reading music, uh, playing music certainly helps uh, a great deal. Uh, I always approach the music as a player, um, and uh, but also uh, as a as a theorician, uh, a music uh, theorist, uh, certainly historian. Um, um, also, uh, I have a strong graphic. Uh, background, so I look at it visually, how the music looks, is it is it readable, does it make sense? So a lot of different, a um, lot of different areas. It's 
I think one of the reasons I really chose music as a career is because there's so much that you can learn about music, whether it's the history or the performing or the music theory uh, that, that really can carry you through a, a lifetime. You can continue to do this into your 90s. So when you first started the job, I assume there wasn't a one ad that said, orchestral librarian needed. How do you get into that sort of position? Uh, my gateway was um, at um, when I was studying music at the uh, university, and I saw that the, the conductor, the music director, needed some help. And so I said, do you need some help uh, with chairs, stands? And then he said, uh, sure, um, that's great, kid. And then he said, well, here, can you hand out this paper, too? pass out these parts. And so from that, um, it led to a becoming the manager, uh, like stage manager, uh, manager, and, uh, and librarian for the Wind Ensemble. So that was, that was my entrance into library work. Now, I'm sure working with the Philadelphia Orchestra, you know, you get to hear them rehearse and perform uh, every day, which is quite incredible. There are travel opportunities. What other benefits are there to being the librarian for one of the you know, for the Philadelphia Orchestra, like, could you give us a specific story? Like, I was here and this happened, and I, I can't believe that I'm in had this opportunity. Um, well, yeah, that happens on a daily basis. <laughs> sure. Uh, I run into um, uh, famous. Well, because of the the high profile of the orchestra, uh, we're we're entertaining the world's greatest musicians that that the world's ever produced um, on a weekly basis, and so or sometimes during summer months uh, on a daily basis. So, yeah, it's a, it's a real thrill um, to meet people uh, that uh, that you've been longtime fans of. Uh, John Williams I've met a couple times. Uh, I was, I was a, a great student of his all through high school, listening to his multiple soundtracks, and then finally got a chance to meet him. And, um, and uh, Andre Watts, who I used to listen to, and... Um, his piano playing and uh, being a friend of his and, and Yo-Yo Ma. Um, I, I hate to drop names, but these are people who probably most of your audience have heard of. Um, uh, Yo-Yo and I have a terrific relationship now. He's very candid and we, we joke around a lot. Um, but it's it's people you, you don't know also who, who are also world-class musicians. And um, so it is, it's a real treat. Um, and the soloists that we have come in, the conductors, uh, Sir Simon Rattle, um, you know, different composers that I get a chance to meet. Um, yeah, it's really, really astounding. Um, you know, uh, Oliver Nussen and um, uh, Christopher Rouse and some really some of the, the greatest musicians of the 20th century I, I get to actually bump into every week, sometimes daily. So thinking about all these incredible experiences you have, I immediately went back to the garage band days for you. You said you were in a garage band in high school. So would the garage band Steve have ever imagined that Simon Rattle would recognize you and say, hey, Steve, how are you? No, um, because I had my sights on studying something else. I was, uh, I'm one more year a painter than a musician, so I was always in the arts, and I studied architecture out of high school, and then even though I was still writing a symphony and playing with the local community orchestra and playing in a big band, um, I was studying architecture. And so, no, I, I, I had no idea when I was uh, 
15, 14, 15, those formative years that I would one day be be bumping into Andre Watts and people that I would see literally on my TV. I, uh, John Williams, when I was listening to um, uh, Lost in Space or uh, incidental music from Gilligan's Island, that I'd be actually bumping into that the composer at some point. No, never know. What are some of the challenges of being a, a librarian for an orchestra of such a high profile? Well, uh, some of the challenges would be uh, just keeping up with the, the flow of, of, of information. Uh, we live in a technology-driven society these days, and so unlike even my predecessors of 30, 40 years ago, the, um, the technology-driven is it, it's a little bit too much information. Um, so you have to be a little more careful and selective of what it is that you're going to um, entertain that day because it, it can be really overwhelming. And it's the, um, of course, that's some of the fun of the job is is learning about new things and, and but it's the juggling the information I think is the is the biggest challenge. What are your typical hours like during a regular work week? It's not a nine-to-five Monday through Friday job. Um, luckily, my wife is very accommodating, and she she knows the kind of lifestyle. So um, typically, we're a Tuesday through Saturday uh, week, even though we do have um, a lot of Sunday performances now in our current contract. Um, a lot of evenings, uh, three about three three nights a week, we're out. I'm out at night. Uh, get home um, after eleven o'clock at night. So it's it's long days. Um, and then of course the summer residences, where we're in uh, different states. So you're you're there for uh, a week and a half in one place, or three weeks in another, where we go on a long tour. It's a three week tour, and you're away from home. So uh, we don't have access to your 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 uh, personal things, but uh, but it's, it's fun though. It's uh, so we're out like maybe um, it's about uh, at least eight weeks a year. I would say we're away. Um, travel up to New York to Carnegie Hall, down to Washington D.C. at the Kennedy Center or the performing space and Bethesda, Maryland um, residency. But um, yeah, it's 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 a lot of uh, a lot of traveling. If an orchestral librarian at your level, what if something suddenly comes up? You know, there's you have all these commitments coming up this week, and you get ill. Um, Instrumental-wise, I think it'd be easier to get a sub for violin or whatever. Um, are there folks around that you could sub, that could sub for you um, within this line of work? Oh, sure. No one's irreplaceable. Uh, when I was interning with the orchestra, I did sub... Uh, on several occasions, which was which was great, um, it was I was very um, flattered that they thought I could handle that responsibility. And so, um, yeah, we, we bring on we bring in subs on occasion. Um, when my kids were born, uh, someone covered for me while I was out. And uh, yeah, it's it's sure no one's irreplaceable. Okay, you're around music all day. You compose music. You organize music. You're you know, music, music, music. So here's the question. Do you still listen to music for pleasure? Oh, great. I'm glad you asked that question, Sean. Um, 
I, I have some specific things I actually wanted to mention about what I'm listening to right now. I do listen to, as yourself, I listen to a wide variety of music. Uh, I picked up the Barbara Streisand's most recent uh, duets collaboration. I have to say that the Anthony Newley's tortured rendition of Who Can I Turn To is, is hair-raising. Uh, he actually sounds like he's having a nervous breakdown uh, while he's performing it. It's just fantastic. And, of course, uh, <laughs> some of her other actor friends on the uh, uh, actor-singer friends on the collection, Alec Baldwin even, uh, are just really fantastic. Uh, uh, if anyone knows me personally, you know, I'm a huge progressive rock uh, person, and so I still listen to King Crimson and Yes, World, uh, all those uh, individuals. And so I'm listening to the King Crimson live from Toronto, November 20th, 2015, uh, supporting their Elements Tour. Uh, I'm really big on Flying Colors right now, which is uh, a group featuring Mike Portnoy, a fantastic drummer with, with Neil Morris, and featuring the great uh, Steve Morris on guitar uh, from Deep Purple and other places. Uh, I'm revisiting some Miles Davis. Um, hadn't listened to Miles in a long time. I'm currently listening to his Decoy album from 1984, uh, recorded 83, 84, uh, who features a young Branford Marsalis and, uh, and Daryl Jones um, on that. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm revisiting the Samuel Adler collection of, um, it's called First uh, Cantos for Solo Instruments. It uh, features a lot of principal orchestra players from around the country. This was recorded in 1998. Uh, uh, the Philadelphia is David Bilger playing the concert number one, as well as Charlie Vernon, uh, the concert number two for trombone, and a, and a bunch of other really, really fantastic stellar uh, players. That These are all individual solo pieces without uh, no accompaniment set by Samuel Adler. So I was going to ask you another question, but I think you already answered it especially for students listening to this. If you want to go into this line of work or music in general, I don't think you can like music. I think it has to be part of your DNA and you have to, you know, it's like breathing for us. So I think you just uh, exemplified that. <laughs> That's true. It's a lifestyle. It's not a, uh, it's a career choice, but it's a lifestyle more so than a, a job. Right. We've gone over it a little bit, but if you could, you know, make it as compact as possible. Students that are out there now, um, in high school, college, considering uh, their careers, just a couple bits of advice you would give them if they wanted to get into this line of work being an orchestral librarian. Orchestral librarian. Um, let me see. Well, the, the, the main point that I always we try to stress when we um, are preparing young people to go into this field is to know the, uh, the various music publishers that um, know the source of the printed music. Uh, a lot of times there are different sources, uh, Beethoven symphonies, and um, so you want to be sure that whatever version you find is the version that the conductor or the music director uh, really wished to to use. Because uh, not all, it's like in a, um, a bunch of apples. Not all apples are, somebody likes the delicious apple, somebody else likes the gala apples or the Macintosh. And it, it, there isn't one that's better than the other. It's just to make sure that whatever apple you pick is the one that the music director, the artistic people have, have decided on. So it's really the music publishers, I would say, suggest go into investigating those. That's really how I think I got my education into, uh, which made me a product, productive citizen in uh, society. 
was um, was really working for the music publishers. Um, I worked for a couple different ones over a period of eight years, and during that time, that was really my music education and uh, figuring, uh, seeing which editions there are, and and, and composers and, and publishers. That that was the that was the big thing. For me. Well, thank you very much, Steve. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, either in person or on the phone. And uh, I look forward to seeing you down in Center City in the coming year again. Thanks, Sean. You're you're such a great friend and a stellar musician. And um, I'm sorry my interview wasn't more funny. I was I was trying to put some humor in there. I was going to do some uh, some funny voices, but uh, for Halloween, I don't know when this is going to be broadcast. But uh, yeah, it's always a pleasure talking to you, Sean. And um, all the best to your listeners. Thanks a lot, Steve. I'll talk to you soon. I hope you've enjoyed this edition of Backstage at the Enharmonic. To find out more about Steve Glansman and the Philadelphia Orchestra, please visit the link below this podcast. Thanks for listening.